Pahalui Baptist Church, uh, and we sincerely, this is my first Sunday back from being on vacation, uh, or staycation, if you will, and we sincerely, truly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, missed each and every one of you on our vacation. My children missed worshiping with our church, Ohana, uh, as we visited a few different churches around the island. Uh, you were definitely missed, most of you, maybe, some more than others. No, I'm kidding. Um, thank you. I also missed uh, Chinese New Year, so uh, let me see if I get this right. Gongshi Fatsai. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to my Chinese representatives in here. A few things, uh, announcements before I get into the sermon proper. Uh, we are starting our new Sunday school quarter, and I'd like to encourage all of you to engage in the Sunday school or Wednesday night discipleship venues for your own good, for your own uh, preparation for the work of the ministry God has for you. So uh, we have Explore the Bible uh, with Bill Staten. We have uh, the Doctrine of the Scriptures with Jim Welsend, and then the new one we're offering would be our mission. What is our mission? What is our church? Evangelism. Why do we gather? Why do we do what we do? And how do we share the gospel and make disciples? That's going to be with Jay Haynes and Rocky Kamatsu, appropriately so, our church planters of the Waiahu Church plant. So that'll begin next Sunday. Their class will begin next Sunday over here in the fellowship hall. So uh, sign up for that in the back. Half of you are going to forget to do that and show up anyways, but I'm going to press on you to sign up if you can, because that helps us greatly uh, in preparation for you. So check out one of those venues. Uh, I also have a new member family to introduce and present before you. So I'm going to ask Noah and Kate Brennan and their children, if they're with them, to stand up. Uh, if they're not with them, that's okay. Oh, there's one. Okay. Noah and Kate, welcome. Uh, they have, yeah, go ahead and give them a round of applause. Um, Noah and Kate have been attending for several months. He was actually a missionary to Ecuador and one of the elders at the, path, uh, at the church there served there. He has four children. Let me make sure I get these right. Finn, Keenan, Eliseo, and Milena. It's taken me about three months or so to get that. Um, but get to know them. They are a very, very neat and wonderful couple. I've enjoyed getting to know them. So uh, having gone through the member orientation with them, I present them to you for membership at Kahului Baptist Church. So members of KBC, if you would receive them into covenant membership, let it be known by an I. I. Any opposed? You're in. All right. Welcome. 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 Um, I am going to ask them to be at the door when we are leaving, insofar as having four children will permit one to be at a door in one place. So uh, get to know them, get to know their kids. You will be blessed, I can assure you of that. They are also teachers at Doris Todd, so if you have children going up through there, you'll likely encounter them. Exodus 33, 1 through 23, the title of the sermon is, Show Me Your Glory. Show me your glory. This is a famous passage of Scripture. You'll notice we read the whole chapter. I think it's important to read the Word of God in the Sunday gathering. Amen? 
in the congregation of the redeemed. Why? Because Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy to give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That is the only, as my dear friend and brother Nick Tanaka says, those are the only inspired words of God that you will hear this morning from the Scriptures. Everything else I say is to be tried and tested against that word. And so we want to uphold the Word of God this morning. And so we will be in Exodus chapter 33, continuing our series in the book of Exodus. Now, what did you miss? If this is your first time here, what did you miss? You missed a lot. You missed 32 chapters, all right? So I'm going to try and catch you up to speed. Uh, This is one of the most famous uh, narratives in all of history, in all of Scripture, the, the true story of God redeeming His people with a mighty hand out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years, 10 plagues, judging Egyptians, freeing His people, leading them to Mount Sinai. They receive the Ten Commandments, the very Word of God from Him. They enter into covenant relationship with God, and in an essence, they get married to God They're hearing now the words, this wonderful promise that God is going to dwell, right? He's not going to be a God who is far off, but He is going to dwell in the midst, the very midst of the camp in something called a tabernacle, a tabernacle. And He gives Moses instructions for this tabernacle in the chapters preceding Exodus 32, Then something catastrophic happens that Nick did an excellent job. Nick and Jay both did a fantastic job preaching. I got to listen to both of the sermons. Thank you guys very much for serving and ministering the Word of God to God's people. You should go back and listen to the sermon online, kahaluibaptist.org. If you missed it, you will be blessed. Your soul will be encouraged. You will be nourished. But Nick covered Exodus 32, this catastrophic episode of idolatrous worship of the golden calf. So Moses goes up on the mountain of God, famous, famous, another famous episode. He's gone for 40 days, for a long time. The people don't know what's happened to him. And in his absence, Aaron, the high priest chosen by God, the leader of the people, second in command after Moses, Aaron leads the people in idolatrous worship of a golden calf. God tells Moses that his people are doing a horrendous thing. Moses goes down, he meets Joshua somewhere along the way, and they hear singing in the camp. And they said, oh, what is that? And Moses comes and beholds this golden calf and the people running around in literally nakedness. The ESV translates it, uh, the people broke loose. The Hebrew is actually nakedness. They're running around in nakedness around this uh, golden calf, worshiping it, indulging in... uh, Immoral pagan worship, and Moses is horrified. He's got the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. He throws them down. They break. What is the symbolism there? The covenant has been broken. Covenant's broken. God, in his wrath, kills thousands of them by plague. They've broken the first and second commandments and all the rest of them right off the bat. And literally, they are in danger of being wiped out as a people. God tells Moses, I'm going to destroy all of them and start over with you. And that's the context where we pick up in Exodus chapter 33, dealing with the consequences, the horrendous consequences of their 
actions. Now, I've told you many times that Exodus is a redemption story told using creation language. There's a lot of parallels to Genesis chapters 1 through 3 here. And in this context, you have the birth of the new people of God, Israel, the new son of God. And then you have the fall. You have the giving of the command, and then you have the fall. Very similar to Adam, the son of God. The command, do not partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then the fall, boom. You have the birth of Israel, the command given, the Ten Commandments, and then the new fall. And so this follows a very similar pattern. What hope is there for us this morning? What encouragement is there on the heels of this catastrophic event? Let's pray, open up God's Word, and see what we got. Father in heaven, Lord, may your name be praised as you are a God who reveals himself to guilty sinners who deserve death. We truly are a stiff-necked people today in 2018. Lord, would your great power, would your goodness in a similar manner, in a better manner, pass before us this morning... And may we hear that you are a God who is merciful and gracious. And may your glory be seen and praised by faith, both through the preaching of your word and through the partaking of communion, the Lord's Supper. And I ask that you would draw to faith in Christ many who are here or stir up, fan to flame the faith of those who have fallen asleep through the pleasures of the world, through idolatrous practices, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to cover this in three points. God's directive, God's directive, number one. God's distance, number two. And then number three is God's self-disclosure, God's self-disclosure. So first, his directive in verses one through six. Now, Nick kind of covered a a good chunk of this section in his sermon, so I'm not going to spend long here, but it is worth repeating. God, in his anger and his wrath against sin, tells his people Go up, depart from here, go to the promised land, go to the land flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have my angel accompany you. I'm going to fight for you still. I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land, depart out of here, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. So, in essence, what is he saying? God is saying... You can have all of the benefits of my promises, but you cannot have me. I will not go with you. And it says the people took this for what it was, a disastrous word. Now, Nick brought this up appropriately so, and again, I'm going to bring it up because it should be driven home if you missed it or even if you were here. If you could have all of the benefits of salvation, eternal life, heaven, long-lost loved ones, perhaps that, that mansion in glory that we think of, the streets of gold, the beauties of heaven, angels singing, a new body, if you could have all of it, 
all of it, and God wasn't there, would you still want it? Would you still take it? Would you say, if you were Israel, deal? Or maybe you would justify a little bit like, well, if God's not going to go with me, I might as well have some good things. Would it be a disastrous word to you? I fear most of us would say deal. Say deal. And how do I know you would say deal? Because you live your life like that now. They saw it as a disastrous word, and it was. Because if you could have all the benefits and God wasn't there, it's nothing. That shows that the benefits are the true desire of your heart, not God. It means you love what God can give you, not God. That's a warning we all need to hear and heed this morning. Thank you, Nick, for drawing that out. I could flesh that out, but he did an excellent job. This passage functions as a warning. And one of the ironies of all of this that we saw in Exodus 32 and in 33 is that they made a golden calf because an idol because they wanted God to be in their presence. They wanted God's presence in the midst of them. And this teaches us a very important lesson about idolatry or about doing things when God tells us to do it a certain way and we ignore him. This gives us a very important lesson. And what is that lesson? Idolatry always promises nearness to God and takes us further away from him. Sinful behavior practices, actions that we harbor in our life, they promise God's nearness or satisfaction and in reality take us further away from God. They drive us away from His holy presence. God will be first in your life, beloved or you will not have him. God will be chief in your affections, or he will not be with you at all. He will not tolerate any other gods before him, beside him, with him, above him, around him. He will be supreme in your heart. So he tells them to leave. He also tells them to take off their ornaments, their jewelry, these things that they had on. Why is that? Because these, this jewelry is associated with whatever pagan ritual they were partaking in. And the essence is if, if they would genuinely repent, then they must wholly remove any associations with the idolatry. So it's not good enough to put away the golden calf, but the practices, the embodiments, the uh, examples, the symbols of the idolatry must likewise be jettisoned from them. And what does this teach us, beloved? The lesson is simple. Get rid of anything in your life that is drawing you away from God. That's the lesson. Anything in your life that is drawing you away from God ought to be removed and banished from your life. Amen. No matter how valuable, 
no matter how beautiful, no matter how costly, no matter how important. And Jesus tells us that sometimes this will even mean severed family relationships on this side of heaven. That's the reality. Sometimes this will even mean severed relationships with those nearest and dearest to you who draw you away from fidelity, from faithfulness to God. And so I repeat, if it's drawing you away from God, get rid of it. Now, don't go home and like disavow your children. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't go home, right? As tempting as that may be at times and seasons of life, that's not what I'm saying, okay? If, you, if, that, if you feel like, man, I don't know, is my family member drawing me away? What does that look like? How would that play out in my life? I kind of feel like that might be a danger of mine. You need to seek counsel. Seek godly counsel before you do anything of that nature, lest you inflict more pain or go beyond what God would have you to do. But suffice it to say, you ought to be willing to forsake everything for faithfulness to God. So that's the first point. God's directive, leave, go, my presence is not going with you. Number two, God's distance. His distance is seen in verse 7 through 11. Now, this section seems a bit out of place. God is telling them what to do, to leave, to go on, and, and then all of a sudden there's this shift in the text. It's like, and then there's this tent of meeting, and Moses used to go out to it and spend oftentimes there, and God's cloud would descend on him, and Joshua would not depart from the tent. Uh, he was always there, and you're like, what? I don't, I don't understand. And then we go back to uh, these consequences. So it's like, what? This is out of place. This just seems like a, a, it's, it's in the wrong section, doesn't it? Or is it? Or is it? How does this section fit in with the rest of it? What we were just talking about. The answer is in verse 7. So look at verse 7. It says this, Now Moses used to take the tent, and pitch it outside, here it is, outside the camp. And note the editorial comment, far off from the camp. He would take it and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. What is the point of this section? What is it telling us? It's demonstrating the separation that is already occurring as a result of Israel's sin. God is already withdrawing His presence from the midst of the camp, and there is a, a distance from God because of sin, and this is what sin does. It draws us away. His presence cannot be near to us like we would want it to be. So this passage is right where it ought to be. God is saying, depart from here. I am not going with you. I'm not with you. I can't be in your presence lest I consume you for your sin. So it introduces this theme of distance from God. Many of us, many times I'll, I'll interact with different individuals who come and say, Pastor, I feel cold. I feel like God is distant from me. I feel nothing when I read the scriptures or whatever it is. And sometimes, beloved, sometimes, not always, but sometimes it is because your own sin is being tolerated in your life. It is your own transgression and your own, own your, your 
rebellion, to let go of things that are displeasing to God that accounts for why He feels distant from you, because He is. But not of His choosing, of yours. Of yours. So this passage is right where it ought to be. It also serves to introduce the unique relationship has, uh, re- relationship that Moses has with God. This intimate relationship where it is said of Moses that, that he would speak with God face to face. The Hebrew there is literally mouth to mouth. It is an idiom that God speaks clearly to Moses. He speaks clearly to Moses, not in riddles, not in mysterious sayings, but clearly to Moses. Moses uh, had this privileged relationship, unheard of before or after him. And so it introduces this role, this relationship that Moses has with God. And this sets the stage for our final point, the next Section God's disclosure or God's self disclosure of Himself. We could also say this is the best section, this begins the best section for us in this whole catastrophic event. This begins to demonstrate God's grace to guilty sinners through a mediator through a mediator. So far, you guys have heard just a lot of conviction, pain. Ooh. That is a necessary component of your drawing near to God. You need a mediator for that. And so this section, verses 12 through 23, we see Moses' direct intercession on behalf of the people. Moses is going to boldly begin to press into God on the basis of God's revealed word, on the basis of God's promises. Moses is going to stand boldly on those promises and begin to literally lean into God's divine plan and presence and press him with himself. And what Moses does is incredible because Moses doesn't allow God, or he doesn't allow himself, rather, to be seen as a separate entity from the people of Israel. He won't allow it. And there's this back and forth that happens. Now check this out. Verse 13, we see Moses saying, Now therefore, if I have found favor, grace in your sight, Lord, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor, more grace in your sight. And then he says this. He's now interceding for Israel. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. You remember how 33 started out? God says, depart now, you and your people that you brought out of the land of Egypt, Moses. And Moses now is bringing this back around, saying, consider too, this is your people. This nation is your people, God. And then here's the back and forth in 16. God's going to respond, and he's going to tell Moses, he's going to say, I'm going to give you rest, singular, you rest, Moses, and I will go with you. And then Moses responds in 16, how shall it be known that I have found grace or favor in your sight? I and your people. You see, Moses says he's going to do that two times. I and your people. See, Moses will not allow himself to be identified apart from the congregation of Israel. 
And it is through Moses' direct intercession, his requests, that God says he will go with him in their midst. His presence will go with them. And then Moses asks this one more shocking thing. He says, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. If time would permit, oh my goodness, there's just series of sermons worth of material here. We could talk about how Moses is setting the stage of an intercessor, how the foundations are coming into sharper focus of the necessity of, an, of a mediator between God and man who will stand and intercede on behalf of God's people who will never leave or forsake his people or allow himself to be seen apart from his people but is now merged with his people forever and ever. This is Jesus, isn't it? This is Jesus. He is our brother. He, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. And in the context of Exodus 32, you could see why Moses would be greatly ashamed to call Israel his brothers because they just committed this great idolatry. But Jesus, mediator of a better covenant, greater promises, a greater sacrifice, one infinitely greater than Moses in every way. He identifies with us. He calls us brothers. He identifies with our weaknesses. He is tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Just the book of Hebrews. We could go there. We could go with the necessity and power of intercessory prayer. Both Jesus's on your behalf and yours on behalf of your brothers and sisters and loved ones who are unsaved. We could, we could talk about that theme for a long time. We could talk about this theme of, of, of does prayer change things or does it change me or, or what is the role of prayer? How does that work with the sovereignty of God? God seems kind of capricious here. It's like, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. And then, okay, I'll go. Is God capricious? How does this work? in God's divine plan. We could talk about that. That should be explored. But we don't. We're not. For time's sake, that's for you to study, to discuss over lunch, and let your minds be blown to greater to greater degrees of glory. We're going to talk about something else. We're going to talk about that request. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. See, Moses has heard God clearly face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And now he wants to see God fully, the fullness of his essence, of his presence. And what is God's answer? It's a yes and a no. God's going to say yes, but no. He's going to let him see as much as Moses can handle without dying, to be fair. God tells him he can't see his face because no man this side of heaven can see the fullness, the face of God, and live. Now, something's been going on here that's important. There's a word used earlier in the passage. Uh, that word is presence. Uh, and the Hebrew translates it, sorry, the translators translate it as presence. And you see this crop up in verse 14. Moses is asking God to go with him, and he says, verse 14, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses, verse 15, said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. That word presence in the Hebrew is the exact same Hebrew word that God uses when he says, no man shall see my face 
and live. So now if we were to read that back into it, and he said, verse 14, my face will go with you, I will give you rest. Verse 15, and he said to him, if your face will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. This gives us a little bit more insight into what's going on when God says, you, no man can see my face and live. What was Moses asking of God? What was it that he was asking of God? He wanted his face to go with his people, his presence, his face, the face of God. He wanted the fullness of his essence, the fullness of his being, of his blessing, to be with his people. That's what it is to see one's face in this Hebrew understanding of how they're speaking. I want to see your face. I want to see the the fullness of who you are, the fullness of your blessing, of, of what it means to be you, your identity. To have one's face look on you in that time was a sign of the fullness of their blessing, of their approval. The flip side of that, conversely, to have one's face turned away was a sign of great displeasure. That's even true today, isn't it? Sometimes when people are greatly displeased, we might say, I don't even want to look at you. I want to look at you. Or, or even a very disastrous, very sad uh, when relationships deteriorate and, and parents won't even maybe look at their own children or, or the children won't even look at their parents. It's a sign of displeasure. It was true then as it is now. And so Moses is saying, I want to see your face. I I want the assurance of your blessing. I want to see you for who you are. God responds, in essence, I'll show you who I am as much as you can handle. He assures him, I'm going with you. But if you don't see my face, it's not because you don't have my blessing. It's because you can't handle it. You'll die. Okay, so I'm assuring you I'm going with you, but I can't grant you the request that you're asking for right now. So what does God show him? So he's not going to show him his face. What does he show him? He says, I'm going to make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord or Yahweh, before you. So we could say, we could say, part of beholding the goodness and glory of God is hearing the proclamation of his name, the greatness of his character, heralded, proclaimed before us, beloved. There's application here in preaching, isn't there? There's something distinct about the preached word of God as it's heralded that God is great, the Lord is good, he is compassionate, he is holy, and as that word auditorily comes down into your ears and into your hearts, that if you have ears to hear, there is glory to be seen through the ears, isn't there? So he would hear the greatness of the name of the Lord proclaimed to him, and he would hear and see the goodness of who God is. 
One theologian described goodness like this. It is the brightness and loveliness of our majestic creator. It is the brightness and loveliness of our majestic creator. On vacation, my wife and I were gifted with a whale watch tour from the Pacific Whale Foundation. Thank you, Maddie Baresh. I appreciate that. That was a wonderful gift. Uh, we went on a dinner cruise, um, and it was just beautiful. And as we were out there at about 6 p.m. or so, this juvenile humpback whale just started playing around our boat. And so we were stuck there for an hour because you can't begin to move the boat with the engines on until the whale leaves. And it was literally like as close as, you know, this is where he was at. He's just right here, just playing, and he would pop up and go down and come under to the other side of the boat and pop up. And he did this for an hour. Just, I was like, you know this has got to be a juvenile because only kids play like this for this long, right? And I just thought, with the sunset and there's this whale and I'm with my wife, God is good is the goodness and beauty of our majestic creator who makes creatures like this and they do everything according. He sustains them by the word of his power and they, they proclaim his glory and his goodness. Amen. Wow. God showed him his goodness would pass before him and proclaim his name. What we see in this, and this is really important, I'm going to read this brief phrase and we'll... we'll camp on it for a second. In verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So part of understanding God's glory and seeing his goodness, the identity of who he is, is that he is sovereign. God is free to disclose, to display grace and mercy on whomever he will. He is not obligated to be merciful to sinners. He owes us nothing but wrath if we want to talk about fairness. Think about how stunning that is. When God shows his glory and his goodness, he does it in context of his sovereign prerogative to show mercy to sinners. Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 9 concerning God's election, God's role in salvation. This is a challenging passage for sure, for many. But what we must hear and see is that God is affirming to Moses that I am totally sovereign and free in regard to demonstration of mercy. Amen. You demand nothing of me. I do this. This is what it is to be God. To be God is to be free. To do as he pleases. Now, I love how Matthew Henry, uh, an old commentator, says this. It does not say, notice what it does not say. It does not say, I will be angry with whom I will be angry. It doesn't say that. Because his wrath is always a holy response to sin. But it says, I will show mercy for his grace is always free. He never damns by prerogatives, but he saves by prerogative. He doesn't condemn by prerogative. That is a response, a holy, just response to sin, but he saves by prerogative. 
and mercy. Now, in the context of this passage, what is God saying? What is He doing? He is revealing the glory of His person and the display of sovereign grace to the people of Israel after their idolatrous sin. This is good news for us, isn't it? This is great news for us. Why? Because God loves to be known for the beauty of His glory and grace and showing undeserving favor to sinners like us. Amen. You remember how I said some of you feel distant from God because of your sin? Some of you are holding on to idolatrous practices, and therefore there is this pain in your life that you need to forsake? Along with that can sometimes come a feeling of unworthiness or like God will not accept me. I would repent if I could, Pastor, but I don't even think that at this point in my life I'm, I'm beyond grace. This says God is a God who loves to be shown glorious and displaying mercy to sinners. He loves, he loves, he doesn't, he's not obligated against his will, not twisting his back, okay, okay. He loves to show mercy to the wayward if you will come, if you will lay down your idols, if you will repent. He will show mercy. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. This is good news. What ways, I would ask in closing or beginning to close, what ways do we see Christ in this passage? I already gave you a few. His mediatory office. His role of intercessory prayer could be seen, but there's another way. Recall, Moses asked to see the glory, the presence, the face of God, and he was denied, wasn't he? Denied the fullness of that request, and I would say temporarily denied temporarily denied. See, because Moses one day would, would look at the fullness of the face of God and glory, unhindered. Do you know where that is? Matthew 17, 1 through 8, the Mount of Transfiguration. We're not going to go there today, but you recall after six days, there's a lot of parallels with Exodus 34, what's going to happen. We're not going to get there today, but that's your homework to go read it. After six days, Jesus takes up Peter, James, and John on, on the mount. And it says that Jesus' face was transfigured, was transformed before them. And it says his face shone like the sun. And his garments were were just full of splendor. They were just white like anything they'd never seen before. And who was with him? Moses and Elijah. Moses would see the face of God in Christ in glory one day. Not that day, but one day. Now, what about us? What about us? Do we just have to wait like Moses did for thousands of years? Do we get to see the, the trail end of God? Do we, do we have to wait? The good news, beloved, is no. We do not. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you can turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. It's a follow-up letter to 
the church at Corinth. Paul says this, verse 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves. In this preaching that Paul did at this church in Corinth, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the, here it is, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the what? Face. Of Jesus Christ. You can't tell me that Paul is not thinking of Exodus 33 there. You can't tell me that Paul is not thinking of the Genesis, Exodus, redemptive accounts in this passage. God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face and the blessing and the fullness of Jesus Christ. Remember John 14, the, the upper room where he tells his disciples, Philip says, show us the Father and it's enough. And what does Jesus say? Have I been with you so long and you still don't know? If you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. You've seen the Father. Beloved, do you see what he's saying? What Moses was denied, we are granted in Christ and in Christ alone. In Jesus, we see the glory of God unbound. Yes, in a sense, still in a mirror, dimly, in a sense, but closest before glory, we see the face, we have the assurance of the blessing of the presence of God with us wherever we go. Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we see that God is good, that He is sovereign, and that He is for us. Do you believe that this morning? In your difficult, challenging circumstance, whatever it is, I'm not going to nuance it or break it down this morning. Do you wonder if God is good and if God is for you? You can have that assurance in the face of Jesus Christ this morning. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus by faith. Lay down your idols. Look to him, and you will see the glory of God displayed. Some of you have never, ever done this in your entire life. You would be just like Israel and Egypt. You're just doing your own thing. You're trying to find your way in life however you want to find it, what you think is the best, and it's not working. You try it, and you fail. You try again, and you fail. And you try it, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try this. And it doesn't work out for you because you are enslaved to sin and transgression. The Lord will set you free this morning. Today, he will set you free if you come to Christ, if you trust in Christ, if you turn from your idols, from your self-rule. He will be merciful to you. I'd like to invite you to come today, if that is you. Others, perhaps you need to be baptized. You need to identify with the people of God in covenant relationship because you never have. Maybe you need a church family or a church home. 
a place where you not only receive mercy from Christ, but you have a community of the redeemed around you to help you bear the burdens of this Christian life. I'd like to invite you to come and join or pursue membership at Kahului Baptist Church. And in all things, may all of us, together with one accord, with one voice, say with Moses, show me your glory, God. Now, what exactly did Moses see? What did he see? For that, we'll have to wait till next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, your word is so 